Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy. And this time we've a soundboard that ranges from the beat of the daul to the scrape of the skateboard. Later on, we'll meet the artist and percussionist Jeff Dead Eric to hear about his drum-based exhibition at Void in Derry. Artist Claire Langan is here to talk about filmmaking in a climate emergency and Alexander Lloyd Blake tells us about the place where choral music meets Black Lives Matter. But we begin this time with the unexpected entry of skateboarding into contemporary music. Violinist and Crash Ensemble member Larissa O'Grady's mission to seek out new music and experimental techniques this week brings her to a new work from composer Sam Perkin. Perkins' previous work, Grey Area, explored the sound world of street skateboarding using traditional instruments. But the new work, Discord, takes things a step further, blending O'Grady's amplified violin with the Live sounds of a team of skateboarders performing tricks on a stage created by the sculptor Alex Pentec that's part ramp, part origami sculpture. Ornia Gallagher met Larissa O'Grady to compare skateboards and violins and hear about how to make the best of some inevitable hard landings. I actually put in a special request to Sam. I said, please, can I use the bow? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely. That's coming later in the piece. So I do a lot of harmonics up and down the string later on in the piece. And I do kind of some overtones, which is applying like really hard pressure with the hair of the bow on the string. So that it gives this like really crunchy sound. You know, it's quite unexpected and not used very much really in classical music. My name's Larissa O'Grady, I'm a violinist and I really, really love playing contemporary classical music. I play a lot with different orchestras and I play sometimes with the National Symphony Orchestra and I play, I'm a member of Crash Ensemble where we perform lots of newly composed music by Irish composers and international composers. We first started talking about this project back in May or June of this year. And we've just collaborated over Zoom, just totally remotely so far. I got in touch with Alex initially just as a kind of research into collaboration. I saw that he'd done some collaboration with um, a dancer with some of his rigid origami pieces. And he's done a lot of public realm sculptures. And Sam is an avid skateboarder and he wanted to incorporate skateboarding into it. We were wondering how can we have a more inclusive performance space and stage and what is a stage and coming out of this kind of transformational phase I suppose out of Covid how can we change the concert experience even and um, how can we perform outside instead of just being on a kind of a traditional concert stage indoors where people dress up they come in it's an eight o'clock it's no clapping it's clapping at certain times there's an interval and it's very kind of prescribed and traditional how can we break that down and feel like everyone has a place to attend the performance? So in our piece, Alex is constructing a dome made out of birch plywood. It's going to be really beautiful and it's going to be a rigid origami shape. And the skateboarders are going to come during the piece and compress it down so that it's just 300 mils off the ground and then they're going to use that as a ramp and as a prop to skate on and to use 
their boards to make different sounds on. Um, so the piece that Sam has composed is for violin and skateboard. He's going to be performing the skateboard and I'm going to be performing the violin. He's really done a lot of research and just like deep thinking about skate sounds, wooden sounds, violin sounds, how they kind of react together. Kind of a tribal percussive start to the piece moves on into a very um, melodic and beautiful, beautiful sounding as the piece goes on. And then the skateboarders are, are going to come and the sounds of their skateboarders are going to be picked up and the structure is going to be mic'd. That's going to be out of the speakers and we're going to be playing with that. When you started talking about the skateboard as sound and yeah, I was kind of thinking, first of all, percussion, but then also like a wheel on, on concrete definitely has a pitch to it and also like a really grainy texture. Yeah, so there's the wood sound from the from the um, skateboard and then there's the metal sound as well. And then when it grinds along um, the, the wood, the plywood of the structure, it's going to have a specific sound. And then also there's going to be um, hinges on the structure and when they grind along the hinges as well, that's going to have a different sound. So um, we're going to be imitating that and we're going to be using different pitches on our instruments. I'm going to be playing the scroll of the violin and the body of the violin, the back of the violin. I'm going to be using a thimble. I'm going to be using a ring and I'm going to be trying to imitate all these different skateboard sounds. Wow. So how does one play the scroll of a violin? Um, just by knocking it, which is actually quite sore. So I've just been practicing trying to do that really softly while actually at the same time getting a nice sound out of it. But Adrian's going to mic up the violin really well as well. So it's going to pick it all up so I can just do a little bit gentler. Yeah, it's almost like in the realm of contemporary dance skateboarding. Yeah. It's so performative. The different styles and the, you know, the really urban kind of street style is, you know, that the tricks need less space rather than the ramps and the big kind of bowls and the park moves. So um, the skateboarders will be able to do tricks in in a tight spot as well because we're in Meeting House Square and with the audience, with the structure, with the performers, there's not going to be an awful lot of space. So they're going to use these kind of tighter tricks, I suppose, which is a skill in itself. Actually, Sam was talking about the performance and he was saying, you know, the skateboarders are probably going to fall and knock out every trick. And that's just part of skateboarding. He's like, it's not failing the trick. It's just part of skateboarding, you know. So we had a kind of big discussion about that, you know, and the processes and um, progress and, you know, not everything having to be perfect all the time. And actually, Alex is going to incorporate that into the sculpture with some uh, kintsugi, you know, the Japanese method of covering over a crack with some gold paint to kind of highlight the crack and not just gloss over it and try and cover it up and pretend it never happened. So that's going to be within the sculpture as well. And um, are you going to wear full black or urban skateboard? (laughs) Do you know what? I don't really know what to wear. I think, you know, I'm not going to wear something formal, but actually I'm kind of like, what am I going to wear? Uh, I think I might do a, a mix of both and kind of a nod to the, the traditional concert stage and wear a black dress, but maybe with some runners. Larissa O'Grady there and the reporter was Anya Gallagher. There are performances of Discord this coming Sunday 26th at 12, 1.30 and 3pm in Meeting House Square, Dublin. The event is free and unticketed, but there will be a limited crowd, so arrive early.
Next on the Culture File Weekly, the world of art film with artist filmmaker Claire Langan. Langan's practice for many years has involved turning precious landscapes from the peaks of Skellig Michael to the ashen beaches of Iceland into cinema. For her latest film, The Heart of a Tree, which premieres this weekend as part of the Light Moves Festival in Limerick, she's worked with regular collaborators such as the Oscar-nominated cinematographer Robbie Ryan and choreographer Maria Nelson-Waller in a a shoot that brought dancers into a forbidding, perhaps post-apocalyptic Icelandic landscape. She talked to Culturefile about the complex art of making films of a world in peril. The Heart of a Tree came from a scientific article that uh, trees uh, by osmosis vibrate every couple of hours. And it's a, it's a film about the importance of trees and, I guess, the climate the crisis as well and what a world would be like without trees. I think it was around 2015 when I was asked to do a film for Johan Johansson the late Icelandic composer and that was for his Flight from the City his music Flight from the City and I started working with movement and people then and it sort of opened up a new area for me where I had just been working with landscape before so it sort of brought me to dance in a rather roundabout way the same year I started working with a Swedish choreographer Maria Nilsson Waller just using I suppose it was more like physical performance dance in the films and being very kind of free and experimental about it. And that was the the film we did for that was the winter of 13 storms. And we shot it down here in Dingle where I'm based and Marie would have experimented a lot with things in the landscape. So I think we've done about five films then since then. And the most recent uh, finished one is um, The Heart of a Tree. For this film, I had planned to shoot it in a very, very forested area. You know, it was sort of a response to the wildfires which would have started in around 2018 in California. And I wanted to make a film about the importance of trees. And I know it's an overused uh, saying, but them being the lungs of the, the earth. When it came to actually choosing the location, it felt more powerful to shoot it in a, in a, in a tree-less place and in a way to have a look at that and see what that might be like. <laughs> that was the reason for choosing Iceland for this particular project. So Iceland, I mean, I've been going, as I say, for over 20 years and I know it quite well and it's become hugely touristic since I started going. I have quite a few friends there and one of them, um, Stefan Arni, he's a filmmaker himself. He had found this place that it used to be, um, it actually used to be a ski resort. It's it's almost like an island. It's where the two tectonic plates, um, the, the Eurasian and the North American plates meet. And it's sort of pushed up this sort of island type area um, in the centre of Iceland. It's called the, Iceland, the Icelandic Highlands. As I say, it used to be a ski resort, but it no longer has snow on it in the summer months, which is, which is when it would have been used. So... It sort of had a strange feeling as well of being an abandoned ski resort. It had all these sort of endless steps, you know, for people to climb to the top of the slopes and back down again. And also it felt very active volcanically. So even when you were there, you sort of felt these kind of booms 
kind of coming up through the through the ground. The performers were pretty much having to almost <laughs> crawl down at times the, the side of these these steps and holding on. And it was meant to look like a harsh environment, but it, it, it was in fact a harsh environment as well to work in. Something that's sort of striking uh, is is the idea of moving a film crew. I mean, I guess at some point you're reckoning. Well, uh, I may have something to say on the, this question, but am I am I doing a lot of damage while I'm doing it? How, how do you weigh up, up the impact of of a shoot like that? Yeah, I mean, this was shot pre-pandemic, so it was shot in 2019, and um, since then I've shot another couple of films, all. <laughs> <laughs> one of them last summer with within my 5k so yes it, yeah you are looking at different um different issues now going forward and um travel has become a very a very complicated thing i've two films to finish both of which were shot in Kerry and i'm you know i was out filming seals and whales yesterday just off the blasket islands so I'm kind of at the point, I suppose to a certain extent, I'm at the point where I want to finish what I've shot. I want to take a little bit of time to look at that and decide what is what what is the way to go forward. Because I think the pandemic has, but, you know, also, obviously, climate emergency has made us all think and look at our lives in a particular way. And so, yeah, I'm kind of at that point where I'm I'm not quite sure what the next step is i'm taking all of that on board and yeah seeing what comes comes from that Claire Langan there and the Light Moves Festival of Dance Film continues until tomorrow, lightmoves.ie for screening details. Now, if you get to visit Chevded Eric's new exhibition in Derry's Void Gallery, well, you'll be one up on Eric himself. The Turkish artist and musician is currently staying put, as he has these many months past, in an apartment in Red Zone, Istanbul. Being unable to visit the gallery to install has been all the trickier since Eric's work at locations such as the Hamburger Bahnhof in Berlin often explores the secrets of unique places via the qualities of space that only sound can unlock. As a percussionist, Eric is best known for his extended improvisations on the Davul, or Turkish frame drum. And for his Derry show, he began a journey into Bauron, a choice that meant starting with the gallery posting a Bauron to Istanbul. Cevdet Eric spoke to Culturefile from his apartment come rehearsal room about the Bauron and the Darul, about time and space. Turkey is still in the red zone. We had quite uh, like long periods of lockdowns, actually, which meant most of the sonic experience were experienced here at, at home. In the background, I have an electronic uh, drum kit. Actually, I have been playing that without switching it on, actually. Uh, and it's not because of the noise levels at home, because I could do it with my headphones, but I don't enjoy that much simulation of drum sounds. You, you cannot really play the double here at home. It's not an instrument done for that. It's a very popular mobile instrument 
a mobile-based drum, let's say, two skins uh, at your one of your hands, mostly right hands of the people. You have the bigger wooden stick to have the, uh, let's say, gum gums or dum dums like the bass hit. With your other hand, you are hitting on the other skin, a more treble skin, with a very tiny stick, and then you're making like snare-like hits. And then you hang the instrument, of course, on your body. For me, what's interesting is it has non-musical uses too. Generally, you have it in mostly in open-air places, traditionally, like weddings, that kind of celebrations. Still a very popular instrument in all these kind of wedding environments. There's always a moment where a drummer appears with, with, or with musicians or sometimes a DJ and then plays and people dance. So basically a dance instrument, but also it was used for an announcements. Still in Ramadan, it's used to wake people up for the, uh, you know, in Ramadan, people just like make their break, breakfast and then start fasting. So we still have this tradition in big cities or in villages. You, you hear someone going around before the light comes, actually, before daylight comes, walking in the tr streets and playing some beats, actually. That's, that's still kind of a popular function. There's also a tradition at the end of Ramadan, they go to houses uh, to collect some money for their service. Then I always, I kind of enjoyed playing that alone, making these improvisations to audiences, making emphasis on the soul, sound, colors, textures, beats, and played in a bit different way than we play traditionally, and trying things like a single beat for minutes, for 10 minutes or something. And I sometimes warn people, like I'm saying, hey, now I'm gonna play a beat for a long time. So you are free to do whatever you do, like you can leave the place or something. Don't expect too much. I'm just going to be playing that beat and then who knows what's going to happen. For the Bauron that I played for the show at the Void, the direction changed. Normally the artist goes to a place and brings works or something. But the Bauron arrived here, I opened the package. I, actually, I didn't open the package for 10 days. Because I had a plan, the, again, one of the plans was going directly to a recording studio, opening up, and then start directly start playing. That was the idea. One day I just couldn't uh, wait, so I just opened the drum and started trying to get an idea. I just started playing the backside of the instrument, the wooden part, having fun with that, like more like with finger techniques. Then I started making some simple recordings and just tried to find some beats that I feel comfortable, not to show off something, techniques but just like some patterns which was fitting to the to the mood of the playing so it was not it, it was not like a sound piece which was telling something but it was at the end someone playing a drum and enjoying the beat i decided to send a, a part a very short loop from that recording to the gallery to be installed in the loudspeakers i've been trying to make connections of the musical time with 
other times, say the biological time, historical time, natural time, as I say. Experience of time differs from moment to moment, person to person, place to place. It's such a complex thing. If you have a space which is used for an installation, for something, and when someone is playing with musical beats, musical time, then visual or sonic representations of other times, like years, which could be a timeline or just a series of numbers, it already is kind of, there's a chance that it, it may confuse you, maybe positively, hopefully positively. Most of the artworks is doing that in, in some ways, because there's always a time of the artwork, saying that cinema, performance, whatever, painting an artwork in a space does that anyways. But I'm consciously also pointing out to a few of them, like the musical time or the historical time, to a bit think about that. Hopefully, in a venue somewhere, hopefully to some of the audience to just to leave a few marks of different way of looking at times in general. Jeff Dead, Eric Dare and his show at the Void Dairy runs until October 30th. And finally this time on the Culture File Weekly, composer and conductor Alexander Lloyd Blake, founder of the Los Angeles-based choral group Tonality. In his musical life, Lloyd Blake was often struck by the mismatch between the diversity of his hometown and the makeup of choral groups performing there. His group Tonality and performances that encompass Bach, Handel and Rheinberger, along with the words of black men killed by police in the US, was his response. Alexander Lloyd Blake's spoke to Culturefile's Anya Gallagher about the group's new album, America Will Be, and about freeing choral music to explore issues from gun violence to homelessness. I've heard a lot of singers speak about similar instances of feeling tokenized or feeling very awkward in spaces within classical music where they are the only one or one of very few people of color in their environments, in their ensembles. Um, even for our white singers, you know, hearing and recognizing all of the ways where certain people are valued and certain genres are valued um, differently than others is something we talk about a lot. And I think it's something that really inspires everyone in the group to make space for those conversations, but also the importance of us looking the way we look without having to scream all the time about representation, just us being able to do what we do gives us the opportunity to be what we weren't able to see. My name is Alexander Lloyd Blake. I go by Alex. I live in Los Angeles and I'm the founding artistic director of Tonality. Tonality is a professional ensemble out here in Los Angeles that uses diverse styles and diverse singers to bring about perspectives around social justice in order to foster empathy and incite activism and change. I started Tonality after watching Considering Matthew Shepard, which was a piece about Matthew Shepard and a murder of a gay student that was performed by Consperare. Uh, but really, I think the overarching impetus around the creation of this group was my experience as a black classical musician, watching 
music that I grew up singing in terms of gospel music and how it was performed and respected and valued in relation to music of the classical canon and watching other styles, I think, treated in the same fashion and just thinking about an environment where the same attention that we gave to the Western European styles, what would it look like if we gave that type of attention and respect to all different genres? This awareness has definitely increased in the past year, certainly after the murder of George Floyd, but the fact that LA is diverse, the fact that this country is diverse, when we look at professional choral ensembles, you see a very specific demographic represented. I don't think that work is intentional, but I think we just have to be aware that there are messages and there are ways of teaching and ways of learning that are appreciated and emphasized or devalued. And those messages help to either make people feel welcome or make people feel more aware that they are considered the other within this field. And so as we move forward, I think that awareness of those messages and what that has resulted in has certainly uh, been a big part of conversation in terms of kind of how choirs move forward. And certainly since Tonality has been doing this work for five years, we've been able to be a part of the conversation about things to consider and how to make more equitable spaces so that we are always intentional that the messages that we share within education, within our professional and community environments, always state that through the music, through the composers, through the voices of the stories that we get to tell as choral musicians, that we really emphasize and value that everyone's perspective is important Everyone's voice matters, and not just in ideals, but in the actual sense of who gets to speak and who gets to be heard. We started our first year singing about peace and unity and justice. I think we kind of hinted at those things. It was really our third iteration of that first concert where we added Jill Thompson's Seven Last Words of the Unarmed which uses words of black men who have been shot and killed by police. Performing that piece, I was really interested to hear how our audience would react, how our singers would react. We had been talking about these works for a while. And after that performance, that was the piece that people came up and commented most on. And all the comments are positive. Um, I, I feel that that was really kind of the, the catalyst for us to really start to do topical concerts. And the next year we had a concert on gun violence, a concert on immigration, displacement, and a concert on women's rights. And that really became to me, an evolution of our purpose. You know, we have these diverse singers with the diverse perspectives. We can do more than just sing about unity. I 
I think we can use these diverse perspectives to really talk about the issues that affect our country, our world, that affect the most vulnerable among us. And we are able to speak from a more authentic place because we have those stories represented in the choir. And, um, you know, it's been interesting, uh, but really a beautiful challenge and opportunity to really kind of center these topics again that aren't traditionally at the center of a lot of classical choral concerts and really come up with new innovative ways to talk about these things, to have our singers also tell personal stories related to the, the issues that we're talking about. Try to connect our audience with practical and relevant ways to be involved in this conversation. Alexander Lloyd Blake there, and Tonality's new album, America Will Be, is out now. And that brings to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more bite-sized Culture Files on Monday at 6.10pm and with the weekly next Saturday tea time. Till then, bye now.